Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. And joining us on the Great Midwest Bank Hotline, it is Ryan Eversley, IMSA driver, who is driving from, what, uh, uh, Charlotte to Atlanta today? That's correct, guys. I'm uh, heading back to Atlanta, where I'm from. I went up to Charlotte to race. I'm racing in, in the Pirelli World Challenge Series at Virginia International Raceway. Excellent, excellent. And uh, joining us, of course, in studio, it is Dave Coleman from the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel. And Ryan, you've been on the show before. We've uh, chatted. Uh, usually it's up at Road America when it's a lot warmer out. And uh, we've always talked about your exploits in, in IMSA and road racing. And what are you, what are you, let's get the fans caught up to what, what, uh, who you're driving for this year. Yeah, for the last, uh, you know, five or six years, I've been a factory Acura and Honda driver. So I've raced various Honda and Acura products, including the NSX, the TLX GT, and currently I'm racing the new Honda Civic Type R, which I'm driving the street version of right this minute, and it's awesome. And uh, I'm also racing the Acura NSX and IMSA for the Hart Racing Team. And then on top of that, I'm also racing an Audi R8 for Flying Lizard Motorsports and the Pirelli World Challenge as well. So it's a busy schedule I've got going. Excellent. Well, you know, as a, as as you know as well as anybody, a young driver like yourself, it's always good to be busy, especially in today's racing world, where that isn't always the case. Uh, I, you know, we usually chat in July or August when you're up in Wisconsin for uh, racing up at the Road Racing Showcase up at Road America, but this caught my eye a couple weeks ago when I saw Alan Kowicki, 25 years on, a four-part special on. Uh, Dinner with Racers and Racer.com. And I was kind of taken aback. I was like, this is really cool. And then when I found out that you, that you were you were behind this, I was also like, well, that is really cool. How, how did this all come about? So my partner, Sean Heckman, and I have a podcast we started three years ago called Dinner with Racers. And the whole premise is exactly in the title. We sit down with various people from motorsports and we just talk about whatever comes up. There's no script, no agenda. And it's just kind of organic conversations about people. Because if you're a big fan of, let's say, Mario Andretti, you probably know all the stuff you would know from watching him on TV, but you might not know that he had a pet pig for a long time or, you know, things like that. And so that's kind of where the show came from. And one of the things that happened the very first season was we met a guy, or we knew a guy named Jeff Brown, who's a very well-known racing engineer, and we did not know that he had kind of grown up with Alan and they had raced together in the ASA days in Wisconsin in the Midwest. And we were always Alan Kowicki fans, but we didn't know much about him. And so when Jeff kind of alluded to Alan being difficult to work with and very uh, intense, we were both intrigued by that, Sean and I. So we wanted to learn more. And then when we went to research him, there wasn't that much information other than the basic press release, the basic interview or, you know, video segment from a NASCAR show, and we wanted to know more about him. So as we did a little research, we found, you know, that he was a very interesting guy, 
the college education that he got from the University of Milwaukee being the first NASCAR champion to have a college education. Things like that were really neat to us. And so we just decided to, hey, let's take our Dinner with Racers show and with the 25th anniversary of Alex passing coming up, let's, let's pay tribute to a guy that we think deserves more credit for what he did and how he did it. No, Ryan, you said that you guys were, uh, you were fans of Alan or, or intrigued by Alan, uh, even before you got to talking to, uh, to, to Jeff about him, what was, what was the attraction or what, how did you f- first, uh, notice Alan? The thing that I picked up on as a, as a young kid, cause I'm, I'm a second generation racer. My dad had his own race teams for years and was a crew chief for a lot of people. And he's a super hardworking guy and instilled a hardworking ethic in me as a young man. And one of the things I, I always thought was cool was that Alan Kowicki Racing was the team he won the championship with. And so I always thought that was kind of unique for a guy that didn't have the biggest operation, won it with his own team. But I didn't know the backstory behind it. And when I read, because the Junior Johnson story about how Alan got offered twice to drive for him, he turned it down. That was a known story that we found a lot in print. And when I heard that story, I thought, wow, that's really, you know, even more unique. And so... You know, everybody goes for the underdog. Obviously, Alan ran the Underbird. And a couple of those kind of stories that I already knew about or why I was always intrigued by him, because I've always felt that with my career, I don't come from a wealthy background. Um, I've never really had a big sponsor just show up and give me a, a big check. I've had to work for everything. And knowing that that's how Alan made his career made me want to learn more about him as a younger fan. So you you went from what you learned from from Jeff Brown. Uh, where did that take you? How did the how did the road progress to the 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 people who all you talked to for this? So, uh, like everybody else we interview, we like to have a back background on them. You know, we we do a lot of digging and research. And generally, we'll talk to other people that know the the person we're going to interview, even if we know that person, just to get some different insights and some stories. So, from talking to Jeff three years ago. You know, we, we told him, like, hey, we'd really like to ask you more about Alan sometime. And we kicked the idea around for the last literally three years. And he would say, hey, you know, you got to talk to this guy, you got to talk to that guy. So Sean and myself would do some research. We knew uh, Jim Trito from the Milwaukee area from doing the racing roundup with him. And I, I reached out to Jim and said, hey, we'd love to do the Sound Wiki thing and we'd like to have you be involved in some format. What would he think? And he was like, absolutely. And immediately Jim knew hey, you got to talk to Doug Meyer, you know, you got to talk to Father Dale Gruba and things like that. And at the same time that was going on, Sean reached out to the Alan Kowicki Driver Development Program and met up with Tom Roberts, who was Alan's PR guy for his NASCAR career. And, you know, they began forming a relationship that led towards a guy named Stan Johnson, that led towards a couple other people like Captain Bob that we interviewed. And that's kind of how the whole thing formulated. But what's important to remember about the, the story from our side is that None of those guys know us. You know, we're, we're just a sports car driver and a PR guy. Like, they don't know that we're going to really put our heart and soul into this, and they were still trusting enough to say, yeah, come sit down with us. Here's all our personal photos from our time with Alan. Here's our personal stories from our time with Alan. And they instilled that, that confidence in us that, like, they believed in what we were doing before they even saw the product. And so when we were able to turn around and release the four parts of this, plus the 30-minute documentary, I think we did them justice for the story they wanted to tell. And the nicest compliment we could get was almost everybody that we interviewed, once they saw what we came up with for Alan Kowicki, they all said Alan would have been proud of it, and they knew him best. So for us, that was a really big 
moment for our podcast career. One of the things I thought that was interesting is I remember uh, my dad went to a banquet with Jerry and Alan was hanging on and Alan was uh, still in college, I think. And my dad goes, he had the most beautiful girl with him, real, just gorgeous girl with him. And he goes, I never saw her again. <laughs> and this, there's this recurring theme with <laughs> through your podcast and that of all the all these girls that that, that Alan knew, and um, it, it's funny that you know you're you're trying to dig in and, and Doug and, and Doug Mayer is pretty good because him and Doug used to run around a lot uh, up here in Milwaukee, but the Father Dale Gruba uh, podcast or interview was exceptional. Uh, tell the fans about what, what what you were able to get, what details you were able to get from Father Dale Gruba. Yeah, you know, it's, it's, it's interesting. We, we've never done this about a, a third party. It's always been the people we're interviewing or the people that, you know, are the subject matter. And in this case, we had to ask, you know, friends of Alan's that don't know us, hey, can you tell us some stories? And Doug Meyer, uh, true best friend to Alan because he didn't give up the dirt about Alan's uh, way with the women. He said he was a lot of fun, but the Catholic priest, Father Dale Gruba, was the first person to say, oh, you know he had you know he had a lot of girlfriends, right? Like, he was quite the ladies' man. And we said, no, we didn't. I mean, we knew a little bit, but you're the first one to give up the goods. And some of the stories we were hearing were he would literally have his mechanics on race weekends going, hey, there's a girl over there. She's blonde. She's coming here to talk to me. you got to hold her off because I have another girl over here, the brunette. She's coming to talk to me, and then the redhead's waiting out front. So he was that that well-liked by the women uh, in his life that he had to kind of fend them off, so to speak. And to have a Catholic priest be the first person to tell us those stories was pretty hilarious because he was one of our last interviews that we had in Wisconsin while we were there. So it's interesting to hear something like that come out of a Catholic priest and not his best friend, but I guess – if uh, my best friends are telling stories about me, I'd want them to say all the good things. But, you know, Father Dale had some great stories, not just about Alan, but about all the other racers from Wisconsin that he spent a lot of time with. So he was a really neat person to talk to. But he also gave a really, really uh, powerful ending to our show, which I don't want to give away, but basically he spoke to Alan's legacy better than anybody else could, and we were really happy to have him on. Yeah, that's interesting. Alan had that engineer's uh, mind going even when it came to balancing um, w- the other things he had going on in his life. <laughs> yeah, he literally would carry an actual actual list, like not in his brain, in his pocket. He would carry an actual list of items that he was looking for with girls. And uh, one of the stories we heard was that he had a girl come to one of the races and everybody liked her. And then the next race, she wasn't around, and Father Dale said, well, what happened to so-and-so? And I said, well, I, I met her mom, and she's got really wide hips. I'm afraid that one day this girl's going to grow up to look like that. And things like that, that he was so engineer-minded that he was always thinking nonstop. He couldn't let well enough alone and actually would carry a list in his billfold of what he was looking for out of a lady. One of my – one of my – one of my favorite Allen stories is kind of similar. I'm just a dumb kid, and my parents went over to their house for uh, barbecue, grilling out burgers or whatever. And uh, Alan was still living with his parents, but you know he's he's older. You know he's 12 years older than me, so I'm I'm just looking around, you know, in his bedroom at his photos, and he's in there. And he goes, "So which car do you like better?" And at that time, he was running like his 
about his third late model dirt car at the time. And I go, well, I like the blue and yellow one. That was his first car. It was a 69, I think, Camaro, blue and, and yellow. And then he had switched over to a different car, and they were white with a number 32, the 32 car. And I go, yeah, I like the blue one. He goes, oh, he kind of gave me a funny look. He said, oh, no, no. See, that, that that's, an, that's an old leaf spring type uh, car, and these are coils. And he went into this high-tech explanation about why the new car was better than the old car and i'm looking at him you know with glossed over eyes and i'm like well i just like the colors on the blue one <laughs> he just kind of <laughs> shook his head and just kind of walked out of the room you know so yeah that was typical alan, alan was was at uh, i was at a different train of thought than most people yeah when we when we went to uh interview doug krieger who was one of his early chassis designers that he he bought a car from and the guy is winning races left right and center with his own driving he's selling cars to people that are doing well and here comes you know early 20s alan kawicki that's arguing with him about suspension design and which way to put pick up points for different things and doug's sitting there going i'm 20 years older than this kid and he's arguing me about how to do things and to his credit doug had the uh, sorry uh, Greg had the patience to be uh, understanding where Alan's mentality was. Now he could tell that this kid is really invested in the engineering side of it, and they worked together very well and were able to win races together. But he would have to literally not just explain it; he'd have to give a demonstration using like tools to show Alan that what he was doing made sense. Otherwise, he wouldn't believe him. And not a lot of people would have that relationship with a younger, you know, kid in the sport. But it obviously made sense because Alan had the education and he put it to good use. And a lot of people inside NASCAR give his championship effort credit to his education because he had the wherewithal to engineer the car properly. And even Paul Andrews, who was his crew chief uh, through you know through his championship season, told us he's like, "Well, I was the crew chief, but Alan was engineering the car even while he was driving it, and I was just running the show for him because he couldn't be in two places at once." One of the things that, uh, I mean, w- what I did with this uh, anniversary was write about sort of the the impossible to answer what <clears throat> question, what might have been had Alan not, uh, had not died, you know, in 1993. And I'm curious now that you've had, a, you've had this chance to talk to a lot of people, um, like I did, what did, what did you come away with thinking might have been different? What would he have accomplished? Would he have been, a, given his maybe social shortcomings, been able to adapt to the way things were changing. How do you think things would have played out? Sean and I talked about this a lot kind of throughout the throughout the investigative process when we started to learn that his guys were saying that as he won the championship, he was starting to relinquish some of his control of the day-to-day activities because he understood that the marketing side of it is going to require his time. And so he was starting to you know, just give a little bit more control to the guys, but he trusted them. They'd won a championship, and he was moving in the direction of, okay, I got to be business side too, and I need to get the funding. And I kind of look at how Dale Jr. has grown into the personality that he is over the last few years, because if you look back to him five years ago, awkward interviews, not a lot of self-confidence on camera, but, you know, was a pretty damn good race car driver. And now he's got a personality. He's hosting TV shows. He's doing commentary, and he's very good at it. And I think Alan would have changed his focus and his intensity from running the race car into how can I be the best champion that NASCAR wanted 
And he was quoted saying that exact thing at the banquet. He said, I just want to be the best champion that NASCAR would expect me to be. And I personally think that he would have gone on to raise more sponsorship. He would have been able to relate to the average man because he's a guy that grew up with normal means, got an education. You know, he wasn't the so-called, you know, Southern gentleman that you'd expect to see driving stock cars. And I think that would have resonated with the Midwest a little bit quicker. Probably would have found more sponsorship from that area. And I, I think he would have gone on to a very successful career. If you look at it, he led laps in the last race that he, you know, that he completed. He was ninth in points, and it was when the deck was stacked massively with talent the year that he passed away. So it's not like it was a one-and-done fluke. He was going to be competitive again. And so it's just one of those things we'll never get to know. But with his background with engineering and the way the sport has developed into a high-tech engineering program, I think he would have been ahead of the curve. We're talking with Ryan Eversley, IMSA driver and uh, co-host of Dinner with Racers. And uh, make sure you check out racer.com in their featured videos for Underbird discovering Alan Kowicki, a fantastic video on uh, the life of uh, Alan Kowicki and also the, the four-part podcast on dinnerwithracers.com. Uh, Ryan, we certainly appreciate you joining the show. And like I said, this was kind of with Dave's article that he wrote uh, you know, a week ago and with your articles and, and podcasts that it kind of pushed me into this direction uh, to, to doing the show. As I said in a previous segment, I kind of, you know, Alan was a big hero to me, but I always kept kind of kept my feelings, you know, inside me and didn't want to really talk about it. But this is kind of, this has been a lot of fun this week, you know, prepping for the show and getting you guys on the show here as well as uh, Russ Lake and a few other guys uh, later in the show. So Ryan, we certainly appreciate you coming on the, on, on the show and uh, any final thoughts or uh, things you want to plug, especially the Dinner with Racers podcast, please. Yes, yeah, Steve. Um, one thing that Sean Heckman and I, my partner on Dinner with Racers wanted to really kind of encapsulate from this trip was uh, once again, Alan is one of the inductees for this year's Hall of Fame for the NASCAR Hall of Fame. And we wanted to tell the story so people understood that he was a David versus Goliath situation and, and he won. And he did it from using the American dream, the guy that works harder than everybody else can get results and get where you want to go. And a lot of times, especially today, everybody is expected to get something or, you know, is entitled to something. And he wasn't like that at all. He just wanted to work harder to make it happen. And so one of the things that fans can do, especially with Wisconsin, can go to NASCAR.com or NASCARHall.com and you can vote. I think you can vote up to like 50 times or something crazy for getting who you want in the Hall of Fame. And he's one of the people that we want to see get in there. They only induct five people a year. There's 20 inductees on the list, and we'd love to see people hear the story from our side, and same with Dave's article, and then go vote for him. Back the guy, and let's see if we can't get him in the NASCAR Hall of Fame. That sounds good. Yeah, then, uh, yeah the hashtag uh, AK for uh, HOF. Make sure you use that, too, if you're, uh, if you're on Twitter and Facebook. Uh, Ryan, appreciate it, and uh, hopefully we'll, we'll chat with you uh, coming up in August up in Road America. Thanks for joining the show. Thanks a lot, guys. Take care. <sighs> Spring is a time of renewal, so why not refresh your home with a little help from Blinds.com? We make getting custom window treatments a minor project with major impact. Choose from premium blinds, shades, and shutters. We even have options for your patio, too. 
Blinds.com invented a better way to shop for custom window treatments. There's no pushy salespeople in your home or inflated showroom prices. Our design experts can help you find the perfect window treatments on your schedule. We'll even send free samples directly to you. Plus, we can handle the measuring and installation for you. Unlimited window treatments installed for just one low cost. And with Blinds.com, you'll always get transparent pricing. No hidden fees. Our free shipping and 100% satisfaction guarantee can put the spring back into your step. And into your home, too. Shop Blinds.com right now and save up to 45%. Up to 45% off for a limited time at Blinds.com. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply.